Uh, well, guys, again, my name is uh, Brandon Bennett. I'm the young adult and college minister here at the Advent. I also help out at the 5 p.m. service, uh, which we just had. So uh, Matt asked me for this uh, class to go over law and gospel. Uh, that's a huge task, actually. Law and gospel is a huge theological category. Uh so, you know, I am driving around town all the time and thinking about law and gospel. I just get lost in my head. And I hope what comes out is not abstract thinking, but really on the ground, practical stuff. Um, what I've done is kind of taken a shotgun approach. We're going to watch videos. Uh, and if you're really good, if you're good boys and girls, at the end, we will watch a music video. Uh, and if you have young kids, uh, you'll love it. Um, you actually probably already know if you saw some of the lyrics that I handed out. Uh, anyway, so what I've done is uh, put several quotes from theologians from church history. And I will just say before we get going that I think that's important. Um, you know, I just think, uh, um, well, a little bit later I'll read, well, there's this podcast I've been listening to. Um, it's called The Liturgist Podcast. These two guys, basically, they were they grew up Christian. I think both Southern Baptists, if I'm not mistaken. Then they became atheist or agnostic, and now are coming back around to faith. Well, one of them recently posted kind of a a statement of what he believes. Axioms of faith is what he called it, and I'll read a couple in due time. Uh, but you know, as I was reading it, I thought, well, actually, that's not that's not Christian. I mean. In no uh, sense of the word is it actually does it mesh with historical Christian teaching. Uh, it's actually heretical. Uh, and to my mind, I just walked away thinking it would have almost better been better had he remained atheist because, well, now he's more in despair because he's just reaching after some sort of religion. Uh, I'll explain what I mean by that. But anyway, the point is. I want to quote uh, from people from church history because if we Christians knew the conversation that had been going on in the church for years past, we might not make the mistake to think when we're spouting off things, uh, thinking that that's actually Christianity. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Um, and please, at any time, like if your eyes are glazing over, raise your hand and uh, ask a question. So... So Matt asked me to go over law and gospel. So the best thing I know to do is to begin with Martin Luther. Martin Luther, the reformer in the uh, 1500s, I believe this was in 1519, if I'm not mistaken, wrote this at an academic conference that he was having. So they asked him to explain what he believed, and one of his points was this. The law says do this, and it is never done. Grace says, believe in this, and everything is already done. All right, so notice we have law over here on one hand and grace or gospel on the other, right? So just listen to what he says. The law says, do this, it is never done. So the law is, is merciless. It is a taskmaster, right? I mean, just think about it in everyday action. I can think about me, right? Like... Uh, my my friends, my good buddies make fun of, of the way I dress, wanting to be, you know, posh Englishman. And uh, I want to achieve a certain look, right? 
uh, well, that's kind of living under the law, right? It's, it's living up to a certain identity. And if I don't achieve it, well, then I failed. Um, and we all do this in our own way. If I want to go out and uh, make money, if I've set a certain identity for myself, well, I have to make certain grades in order to get uh, a job at this accounting firm uh, so I can have this uh, style, this standard of living. Uh, well, that's the law, right? Because I've set out for myself, uh, I've, I've put a goal here and I'm trying to live up to it. And we all, if we don't measure up, we're failures, right? Um, so the law says do this and it has multiple expressions and it is never done because I can never achieve it. Grace says believe in this and everything is already done. So grace says here's something from the outside, something that you cannot achieve. It's a gift to you. Believe in it and everything is already done. It's rest, it's freedom, it's hope and joy. So Luther again, therefore take the works of the law generally to mean whatever is opposed to grace. He writes this in commenting on Galatians. So again, we have law over here and grace over here. Law and grace. I'm going to skip this. I don't know if everyone can read this, but I want to read this. So, so Luther is here commenting on, um, on Galatians 3.2. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul writes in Galatians. And, and Luther says this. From this, it is sufficiently evident what the distinction is between the law and the gospel. The law never brings the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it does not justify because it only teaches what we ought to do. But the gospel does bring the Holy Spirit because it teaches what we ought to receive. All right, so stop. So the law says do this and it is never done because it tells me I have to do something. I have to perform something. But the gospel says I need to receive something. Therefore, the law and the gospel are two altogether contrary doctrines. Accordingly, to put righteousness into the law is simply to conflict with the gospel. Here he says, for the law is a taskmaster. It demands that we work and that we give. In short, it wants to have something from us. The gospel, on the contrary, does not demand. No, the gospel grants freely it commands us to hold out our hands and to receive what is being offered. I mean, just think about like if you if you're just in the 5 p.m. service or went to the morning service. Right. It's so powerful um, in an Anglican service when you walk up to receive the sacrament, when you walk up to receive the element, the bread and the wine, you hold out your hands. Right. It's a it's a, uh, a posture of receiving that is that corresponds with the gospel. We do not offer anything to God. He totally gives himself freely to us. We totally receive. So it commands us to hold out our hands and to receive what is being offered. Now, demanding and granting, receiving and offering are exact opposites and cannot exist together. For that which is granted, I receive. But that which I grant, I do not receive, but offer to someone else. Therefore, if the gospel is a gift and offers a gift, it does not demand anything. On the other hand, the law does not grant anything. It makes demands on us and impossible ones at that. So um, 
So where do we get this language of law and gospel? Uh, well, I mean, if you just read Romans or Galatians, um, I mean, like I wrote down Galatians 3, 21 through 22. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So here just is a sample of of Paul saying our faith is in the promise of God. It's not in what we achieve or in what we do. It's in what God gives to us. Uh, And again, just think of I mean, just think of any human relationship like a parent child relationship. Uh, Think of relationships you have in your own life. Um, Well, are they performance based? I mean, does your does your sibling or does your spouse or does your parent um, do you continually hear from them? You're not measuring up. You're not doing the dishes. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. If you're a child and you remember you had continual demands placed upon you to measure up to a certain standard, like you had to get good grades or else that sort of thing. Um, You have to go be a doctor or you're not my child. You know, that sort of thing. That's the law, right? That's performance-based. It's performancism. Um, or is it performance-based or is it uh, unconditional love? Is, I mean, that's what the gospel is. Paul Zoll, who used to be our dean or our pastor uh, at the Advent, said grace is one-way love. It's me totally giving myself to the other person. And that's that's an example of, or, or that's that's a way of putting what, God does in Jesus Christ. He totally gives himself in one way love to us. That is the gospel. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you are forgiven in Jesus Christ, right? Nothing you do, nothing you can perform, it is totally given outside of you. So before we go on, I just thought I might ask, have I lost everyone? Are we, are we, any questions, comments, concerns so far? Does the categories, they make sense? Brandon, there's a wonderful children's book in the bookstore, and it's my favorite one, and it says, it's actually about squirrels, but it says, it's a mother and a baby, and it says, the title of the book is, I love you just because you're mine. I mean, the whole book is, I don't love you because you do this, I don't love you because you're the fastest, I don't love you because you can jump higher, so it's, it's she loves you just because. Right. Hopefully teaching the children that grace at an early age. Right. And to me, I almost think a mother's love, and this is very whatever, but it's probably the closest you'll ever get to that total, pure, unconditional love, which is only possible. Totally. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Thank you, Sandy. (laughs) That's good. No, that's good. Yes, sir. Yeah, so do the law or the gospel, do they live in concert or do they live kind of opposed to each other? Well, um, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, really, they are opposed to each other in a certain sense. There's another quote. I may have added it or maybe the one on the... Um, I think Luther himself will comment and say he's, he's commenting on Galatians. And he says the law isn't 
opposed to the gospel in a certain sense, right? It's there to serve the gospel because the law, uh, I mean, God, God has two voices, right? He comes to, to show us, uh, he comes to bring a mirror to show us ourselves and to show that we can never measure up. So in a sense, they work together, right? Because the law is there to drive me to Christ. That's always the ultimate point of scripture. Uh, the overarching narrative of scripture is always for humanity to receive and to rest in God. So, so the law, the preaching of the law is to show me my sin, to show me my need for God to receive from him. Does that answer the question in a sense? I mean, in a sense, they're opposed to each other, right? I mean, I mean, it's kind of a dynamic thing. Yeah, um, well, you got to the reason it becomes really difficult is because we're not who we ought to be. Um, We're now outside of Eden. We're we're now living in sin in a sense. Right. Humanity as as we are now, this is not the creation God had and intended. We we have fallen. We are in sin. And so therefore, the law opposes us. Because the law says, I mean, Jesus says the summary of the law is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. So the law is good and holy because it shows who we ought to be. But because we are sinful human beings, we can never measure up to that. And actually, uh, the law never really was intended to be you ought to do this on your own. Right. So. I mean, if you just think of Genesis 1 through 3, if you go read that and sort of meditate on that, who we were as humans has always been to receive from God. God, out of his own free love, created and gave himself to us. Um, And I may actually kind of mention that a little bit later. But God loved us, gave himself to us, and yet we chose to go it on our own. And now the law is opposed to us. And we can never live up to that law. and that's to drive us to Christ, to, to rest in his mercy and grace alone, which actually always is how it has been. Even from the beginning, if we had never fallen, we always were supposed to have received received God's love. Does that, does that help begin to answer the question? Any other questions, comments? Um, just another example of law keeping. Uh, I've been watching Frasier slowly. I love Frasier. Do I have any Frasier fans in here? Uh-huh, my people, my people. Uh, watch Frasier. I want to be Frasier, right? I want to be Frasier and Niles because I want to uh, go drink at the wine clubs and uh, socialize and um, dress poshly. Uh, Frasier, though, is great because... Um, uh, because you always see the sibling rivalry, right? It's it's just uh, the whole story is about law keeping because they're always trying to rival each other as siblings. And uh, there's one episode in particular where Niles actually says, I think he uh, he's going through a divorce or something, and he has to move out of the Montana, which the Montana is the place he's always wanted to live. And he basically says... Now that I have to move out, and I think he has to move into this place called the Shangri-La, which is humiliating, uh, this uh, this hole-in-the-wall place. And he says, I've failed, basically, 
right? So, so you see that that's just one example, and it's an example that actually speaks to me profoundly. <laughs> um, uh, so I put this in here because immediately I think us talking about this, people will walk away from here thinking, oh, when you say the law and the gospel, you mean the Old Testament is law and the gospel is the New Testament. Well, no, not really. Uh, so I've just put up the two commandments, the first two commandments and the Ten Commandments uh, up here. And to ask, is this law or gospel? So Exodus 20 begins, so, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Point one, you shall have no other gods before me. Two, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. And I won't read the rest. And you, you know there will be ten commandments. So is this law or is this gospel? Do what? It's law. The ten commandments are law. But, but notice what it begins with. Notice what defines the relationship. So God has just rescued Israel from Egypt, and he says to them, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It's interesting, Luther, Luther says this is gospel, right? Because God rescued a people for himself. He came to rescue them. So, so the Ten Commandments actually... You know, I just think of like all the arguments in the South or wherever, putting up Ten Commandments in uh, courthouses. Well, that's actually sort of ripping them from their context. The gospel is, I am the Lord your God. I have brought you out of the house of Egypt. And now we too as Christians, God says to us, I have rescued you from enslavement. I'm giving you myself in Jesus Christ. I have rescued you. Nothing you've done, and therefore the Christian life. And, and you might see, like, uh, you know, read Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Well, because you are now this new person, this new identity, therefore live in light of that identity, right? So, so it changes the way you, uh, uh, you react to your spouse. Uh, that's why he says, fathers, love your children. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, love your, you know... Do this because you have been made new and rescued and redeemed. So it begins with gospel. I'm the Lord your God, and I have brought you out of enslavement. Could Egypt be looked at as the world? Sorry, say that, say that last Egypt part. could stand for the world and the slavery is the doing it to be A lot of times it's like Egypt is, is hell, crossing the Jordan is death, mm-hmm. and promised land, heaven. But yeah, I mean, you could look at, at all Jews and Gentiles that are unbelievers being Egyptian initially. Well, I'd, I don't want to go too off yeah, topic, yeah. but it's interesting that y'all two raise that because actually I think like if you begin to read through Matthew or some of the Gospels, especially Matthew, um, Matthew's one of his points will be, uh, and he'll use different stories to show this, is that what Jesus is doing is bringing about a new exodus, right? We are the people of God who are enslaved in Egypt, and he is rescuing us. Right, exactly. Uh, And he is rescuing us to be a people to himself. 
right? Yeah, exactly. Good point. Uh, I I put um, I put this up here. Uh, yeah. So moralistic therapeutic deism. There there was a sociologist named Christian Smith. Uh, I think he interviewed um, three thousand teenagers. And he came up with a summary of what 3,000 American teenagers believe. And he called it moralistic therapeutic deism. Uh, and the guy's name is Christian Smith. So let's read these five points. And let's see if this sounds like what you hear preached in a lot of churches and here on Facebook, etc., etc. So moralistic therapeutic deism. Point one. A God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. Five, Good people go to heaven when they die. I mean, is this familiar to anyone? Uh, I was right before Christmas, I was driving to the summit and passed a church. I won't say which one. The church sign. I literally actually like pulled over in anger as I read the sign. It said, um, uh, there's still time to get off the naughty list. A church sign saying there's still time to get off the naughty list. I mean, that is the preaching of little L law keeping, right? It's your performance. You're naughty is what it's saying. And you need to get off that naughty list by trying to measure up and do something. Um, uh, it's, it's moralistic. Uh, it's deistic, which actually means deism is actually... Um, I think what a lot of people think about God in America, right? God created and sort of stepped back and he just kind of lets it run and uh, doesn't really interfere with the world. That's so, so that's where the deism comes in. A God exists and created and ordered the world, but he just kind of stands at a distance. Um, but, you know, there's time, there's time to get off the naughty list. That's, that's law keeping. It's, it's not gospel. It's, it's Christless religion. Um, and sort of may have some vestiges and skeletons left from the Christian closet, but uh, not really Christianity. Uh, it's American religion. About that, getting off the naughty list is um, you are you are having to do work to believe, right? I mean, you you you, you know you're keeping the law, and and then at some point Christ comes to you and asks. Just believe in me. Well, that action of taking that step is to believe is a form of work, and then you're released and free. But you have to take that one step. It's up mm -hmm. to you. So you know, giving off the naughty list may be just simply saying, "Well, come in and, and receive the message and and believe." Right. I mean. It's, see what I mean? It, it, there is, there is, at some point, there is. You you have to make the move from keeping the law to faith and, and grace. 
So there's that transition right there, that, that little tipping point, which is up to you <coughs> to do. So mm-hmm. in, form, in a way, there's work involved, right? Am I, I'm just asking. No, no, it's a, I mean, it's a good question, uh, right? It's, it's, there is a response to the gospel, and that is faith. And that is true. It's a human response. Um, I'm thinking, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. Like in Ephesians, Paul actually calls faith a gift. Uh, it is the gift of God, is what he says. Uh, um, so I think that's in Ephesians 2. Because God could, you know, it's the way I think of uh, our uh, free will. It's like we're, we, we can do this on the, hor- on the horizontal, but we can't, we can't move vertical to God. I mean, he, he does that. And so somehow there's this, this we said it the other, other day, there's a mystery. <laughs> right. That there is... That are it's it's not necessarily work, but there's something moving in us that is grace that then brings us over. So it, I don't know what that is. That's why I think it's maybe a mystery. But there's something going right. on. It's, there's kind of this something outside supernatural going on, not a natural. It's not. A, it's a, a linear process, <coughs> of action, and cause and effect kind of mm-hmm. that we, we're accustomed to uh, living in this world. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah, I, I actually think this is where classic, and this is why I want to read from Luther, Calvin, Edwards, whoever, uh, read from church history. This is where the gospel and where the Christian message speaks powerfully against the modern American self. Because we all think of ourselves, if you just stop to reflect, we all think of ourselves as individuals who can choose, I mean, it's... Uh, in theological terms, it's called a libertarian free will. I'm a neutral agent. I get to choose whatever is good and right. I'm, I'm autonomous. I'm self-ruling. I, I possess myself, and I can choose and do, do whatever I wish. I'm neutral. Uh, and so God is over there, and if I choose to believe, I can choose to believe, or I can choose not to believe. Um, that's kind of the typical thought behind free will. But actually, from the Christian perspective... Well, that means you're already in sin because, again, like uh, we weren't ever to be separated between God. That that already means there's a rift. That already means there's sin going on because now I'm trying to act over and against God. And inevitably, the God that I want to choose, this is why I would have a problem a little bit with apologetics that try to prove God, um, because the God that I try to prove to you so you can choose to believe in, that you now feel comfortable in believing in, that God is already an idol. That God is someone you have created by your own fiction of your own imagination. That's what Calvin will say, and I'll read that quote in just a minute. Uh, Any sort of free will already means, in the way we tend to think about free will as Americans, past the 1700s is... um, I'm autonomous, self-ruling, I can choose and do whatever I want. I'm self-ruling. I'm master of my own self. And the Christian message says, no, that's, that's sin. Um, and Lutherans would say, as you know, he talked about last week, your will is actually bound. Um, uh, Reformed churches will call it, uh, you're, no, you're totally depraved, meaning... Um, all of yourself, your will, your actions, they're, they're uh, tainted by sin. And so you will actually never, when given the choice, 
you will never on your own choose God. It's, it's only him revealing himself and, and by the spirit awakening your eyes to see Jesus Christ. Uh, it's the spirit that awakens our eyes. Um, we need a new birth. We need to be made alive. Um, I hope that. Yeah, can I say something? Because what you're saying um, is kind of descriptive of my how I was. I was very uh, just a cultural Christian. Um, I, I knew the Ten Commandments, and that's what I thought of all the time. Um, and you know, I think growing up in, in America and like with the naughty and nice list, you know, and grades and getting a gold star or whatever, it's a performance based thing. And I'd always think, oh well, I haven't. Done this, I haven't committed this, you know, sin. I haven't hit on these Ten Commandments, and it's like I would do that, and I would think, okay, I'm being a good person, and you know, trying to be still, and so God didn't see me or something. And uh, but I was, you know, it leaves you empty, like you're saying. It kind of shows you, you know, you read the Jesus, and He says, you know, I think, okay, well, I haven't murdered somebody, but He says, well. If you've hated somebody, you've murdered them in your heart. And so he raises it to these levels that makes it impossible to fulfill the law. And it's like he fulfills the law. And when I believe in him, which is a free gift, a free gift, which is by definition, if you've earned it, it's not a gift. Right. So it was just a realization that okay, you're giving me this free gift. I've got to open it up. And then all the law becomes just wisdom insight on how to live. And it's um, I did that out of the overflowing of love for the gift that he gave me. You don't have to. You know, it's Nothing's going to come from it that makes him see me better because it's his righteousness of living the perfect life and fulfilling the law and not, you know, that's imputed onto us. Mm-hmm. So it's that switch that, you know, you see it differently. I don't know. It was, um, it's like, yeah, I can, do, I can try and perform all these things, but it ain't going to do anything. All it's going to do is just show me how deep down a sinner I am, or we are. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Well, just realized I got 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, and I could be here, too. we're going to be here till uh, midnight, and I've locked the door. So, um, uh, well, let me read these quickly, some of these quotes. Uh, I can take like five minutes of questions, and I, wanna wa- I do want to watch a video to kind of put some skin on it. So Calvin says, and I'm going to read these quickly, and I've underlined this. He says, the pious mind does not dream up for itself any God it pleases, but contemplates the one and only true God. And it does not attach to him whatever it pleases, but is content to hold him to be as he manifests himself, right? So as God reveals himself to us in Jesus Christ, that's what the believer believes. This is what faith is. It knows that he governs all things. He trusts that he is its guide and protector, giving itself over completely to trust in him because it understands him to be the author of every good. If anything oppresses, if anything is lacking, Immediately it betakes itself to his protection, waiting for help from him, because it is persuaded that he is good, he is merciful. It reposes in perfect trust with in him with perfect trust. Put that in there because Calvin says 
What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a believer? It means to trust. Again, Luther says in Galatians commentary, with these words, Paul makes faith in God, the supreme worship, the supreme allegiance, the supreme obedience, and the supreme sacrifice. To attribute glory to God is to believe in him, to regard him as truthful, wise, righteous, merciful, and almighty. In short, to acknowledge him as the author and donor of every good. Skipping down to the underlining. That is, that he regard him not as an idol, but as God, who has regard for him, listens to him, shows mercy to him, helps him. Again on the underlining. Uh, from this it can be understood what great righteousness faith is, and by antithesis, what a great sin unbelief is. Right? So faith faith is not merely a fix for the Christian. It's not merely, oh, something's wrong, and now I believe to get better to 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 now fix the problem. That's not what faith is. Always what it means to be human, what it means to be a creature of God is is to have trust in him. Um, I'm going to just read this from Calvin. What exactly occurred at the fall of Adam and Eve? For first, the woman is led away from the word of God by the wiles of Satan through unbelief. Wherefore, the commencement of the ruin by which the human race was a defection from the command of God. But observe that men revolted from God when having forsaken his word, right? So it's, so it's disbelief. That's what's happening. They lent their ears to the falsehoods of Satan, right? So notice, notice the imagery. They heard a lie and they disbelieved. They didn't hear the promise of God. Hence, we infer that God will be seen and adored in his word. And therefore, that all reverence for him is shaken off when his word is despised. But as God does not manifest himself to men otherwise than through his word, so neither is his majesty maintained, nor does his worship remain secure among us any longer than while we obey his word. Therefore, unbelief was the root of defection, just as faith alone unites us to God. So as creatures, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean? I mean, when we're called to believe in Jesus Christ, we're called not just to be Christians as if Christianity is something additional to who I am. It's actually calling you to be who you were created to be. To be human means to believe and trust. It does not mean to be your own master. That's the law. Um, I'm just going to read this, uh, this quote on idolatry from Calvin because it speaks to what I said to you earlier. So the second one, Calvin says, for his rashness and superficiality are joined to ignorance and darkness. Scarcely a single person has ever been found who did not fashion for himself an idol or specter in place of God. Surely, just as waters boil up from a vast, full spring, so does an immense crowd of gods flow forth from the human mind, while each one, in wandering about with too much license, wrongly invents this or that about God himself. So when we like to go by the law, when we like to work and uh, sweat tirelessly to achieve, um, at the end of it, the God we reach is, according to Calvin and Luther as well, uh, well, it's the God of your own making. It's an idol. Uh, and so I, was, I mentioned earlier that podcast I've been listening to, uh, his axiom of faith. He says this about salvation. Now, this is the guy who left the Southern Baptist Church and now is 
celebrating his return to faith, but he says this about salvation. Salvation is at least the means by which we humanity overcome sin to produce human flourishing. Even if this is all salvation is, spiritual and religious actions are actions that promote salvation and they are good for humankind. Right? So what he's returned to is not so much, to my mind, Christianity, but again, sort of a moralistic therapeutic deism. It's generally religious. It's getting off the naughty list. It's, it's me achieving, me trying to overcome. Good, I have five minutes. Um, I just want to play uh, this video. Since you've all been good and uh, your eyes have not glazed over. Do I have any Frozen fans in the room? Huh? Yeah? Yeah, right? Right? Okay, I need... I'm going to work on you people. Um, you're now on the top of my prayer list. Uh, I might start crying in the middle of this, so just don't be... This is my life story as a kid. All right, so here we go. I hope the uh, speakers work. Yeah. And I printed out the lyrics if you want to follow along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't feel you let them know. 
Um, so, uh, yeah. Oh, man. I just, just could cry. Do you mind if I borrow this? Um, well, that's my childhood, right? I grew up in a very legalistic environment. Uh, just listen to the story. If you go watch the movie, um, well, this song is all about the law because she's been told uh, to try to to try to keep her power, her cold power in. Right. Uh, what it, what's the line they say? Um, the parents tell her um, someone help me conceal. Don't feel right. So she's always told, keep it in, conceal, don't feel, don't let it show. Right. This is what she's grown up trying to do, control and master herself. And what I love about it is. She recognizes that she's exhausted, and so what does she do? Well, she tries to free herself from the law, and what's so powerful about this movie is that it shows she's actually worse off in proclaiming her freedom, right? And, I mean, this is like every one of us in our own lives uh, in various ways. Uh, We're tired and we're exhausted, and so we try to throw off the law-keeping and run from it, and actually we are in a worse position, right? I love that it just shows her like becoming a queen and building this huge palace. And she thinks she has now achieved freedom. Let it go. It's gone. That that good girl is gone. Uh, I'm free. Uh, And actually, she's now more enslaved to herself than ever. And the story shows that now she's cut off from her sister and and there is no love. Um, uh, And actually... What does it take to actually heal the relationship? It takes the intervention of another outside of herself. Um, The question we should all be asking ourselves is um, not like someone suggested this week, uh, do you want to take the high road or the low road? Uh, No, who will deliver us? That's the question uh, that leads to faith. Who will deliver me? And I need another outside of myself to intervene. Uh, Well, just one more so we end on the gospel. Uh, Joy Williams, who uh, is one of the singers with the Civil Wars, uh, the band The Civil Wars, she came out with an album called Venus this summer. And I have the lyrics there. And this is just straight gospel uh, in response to trying to keep the law. It's just, uh, just, just sound. Audio.
tell you what, I'll stop there. Um, if you have Apple Music or Spotify, that album, uh, if you like her voice, uh, it's a really good album. Uh, Venus. Uh, the whole album is just structured in such a way where she tries, she has one song where uh, I think it's talking about her womanhood. She says, I'm the universe wrapped in skin. So the whole sort of narrative of, of the album is uh, moving to try to be your own person and be this incredible person, and finally she collapses. Uh, I think there's a song, When the Levee Breaks, or something like that, uh, and it, it busts. And uh, finally, uh, someone outside of herself loves her. I don't think it's a Christian album. I think it's talking about... Uh, her spouse or something like that. Um, any final questions? I know that was like rushed. I had too much. I still have quotes that you can take home if you want to sort of meditate on it uh, that kind of gets at what I was saying. Uh, I actually, I do want to read one last quote. Um, and I actually gave it to you. This is a good book. I think we sell it in our bookstore. It's an introduction to law and gospel written by the Mockingbird team. Uh, really good book and really accessible. Um, well, you have the quote. It's the one by itself on the, uh, on the loan page. Let me just read this. The gospel is news not only because it addresses our plight, but also because it comes wholly from outside of ourselves. It is not something we could have discovered, invented, or imagined. It is news because it is new. It arrives from beyond the boundaries of our ego, beyond all we know. It is news from across the seas, from the other side of the unbridgeable gulf between humans and God. It is wholly other, as theologian Karl Barth said. And it is good news because it addresses our plight with rescue, deliverance, salvation, and redemption. It may not empower us, may not help the advance of civilization or give us more control over our world, but it addresses our plight and proclaims that we have been delivered. Well, amen. Um, as I give it over to Matt, any, any final questions uh, that you want to raise? Good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Should I take the mic back? Sure. Hey, there are red books there. Could you all take... Those are the prayer books, pass them around. There might not be enough, so if you're willing to uh, share with a neighbor, thank you. What I want to do, um, thanks, Brandon, um, for uh, setting the stage for what I want to talk about is um, is worship. Um, and I've got about 20... Or so minutes to do that, which isn't enough time. Um, but just some thoughts about uh, worship in the Anglican uh, tradition um, uh, with respect to some of the thoughts that we had on uh, law and gospel, and then just maybe a couple things generally. And uh, if I want to say more, maybe I'll bring that in. Our, our third session is going to be a little bit of a smorgasbord, so I could bring some things in, maybe some uh, things that I've heard you all ask questions about. Um, uh, but... Uh, Um, what do I do here? Thinking about uh, worship uh, as um, as first of all formative, 
Um, you know, I mean, there's a lot about worship. Of course, we bring our uh, praises to God. God bids us to, to worship him. Um, but to a certain extent, at least, worship is formative in terms of uh, what it does to us, um, not just in terms of learning, but really uh, just in our overall uh, being, um, how it shapes and forms us over the, the course of time. As the Bible says, faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. And so first and foremost, the word of God is uh, is, is there at worship for us uh, to receive and also the things that, that we recite. Um, and uh, it all, in, in that sense, it, it puts us in a right relationship with God. And one aspect of the law that comes in, at least in the Anglican tradition, that I, I, I really appreciate is law as a mirror, as holding up a mirror to ourselves. The old colonial churches, maybe you've seen this before. Have you ever been to an old, old colonial church and they have up at the front of the church the Ten Commandments? Have you seen this before? The old colonial churches were right to do that because um, it's helpful in seeing that uh, when you when you uh, come to church, um, when when you come especially to receive the sacrament, uh, to have a, a mirror held up to yourself. Someone gave me this little book um, called Exceptions to the Ten Commandments, and it's uh, it's blank every. Every page is, is blank. And my daughters love this because they always want to draw on it. They think it's like a notebook. And I say, no, 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 you'll ruin the joke. Um, but, uh, but to, it, and that's true, that there's, there's no exception to the law. The law is perfect and true and holy uh, 100%. Um, and so when the old colonial churches had the, uh, the Ten Commandments up there, they did well to do that. Um, and... Uh, to uh, just to give you an idea, think of the the Sermon on the Mount, which you brought up earlier, where Jesus. Now we had the Ten Commandments, but um, then Jesus comes to another mountain, just as Moses was at a mountain and gave the law. Jesus, just to give you an example, of some of the things he said. You've heard it was said. He says this several times. For example, do not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry in their hearts with his brother will be liable to judgment. You've heard it said, heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then it ends, uh, I think it's chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, I don't know about you, but it's absolutely impossible, absolutely impossible. Uh, And therefore, that's the aspect of the law that is holding up a mirror. And so uh, when you see the Ten Commandments, you should hear Christ's words saying, uh, be therefore perfect. And what can you do but to respond by get on your knees? to get on your knees and repent and say, I'm not worthy. Uh, Just think of the rich young ruler who asked uh, Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. 
Um, and so even though he thinks that uh, he's, he's, he's kept all the law in terms of his outward performance, Jesus gets straight to the heart. He pierces his bubble, the thing that's problematic on his own heart. For you, it's probably something else, just like with this man, it had something to do with his material wealth. Um, and our, our worship tradition actually is very good about this. So if you turn to page 324 in the communion service, at the very beginning, I read already what's on page 323 last time, the colic for purity, which is like showing our hearts to God, begging that. But then you flip to the next page, 324, uh, and the celebrant says, uh, he gives the summary of the law and says, Hear what our Lord Jesus Christ saith. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so basically what Jesus is saying, all the law comes down to this, love God and love your neighbor. Um, if you want a basic summary, just as he told the young ruler. And how do we respond to that immediately after that? We don't say like uh, Nike, uh, just do it. <laughs> uh, I can do it, you know. It's uh, I've got the power within me. Yes, Lord, uh, I will do these two things. Um, no, we say, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy upon us. After hearing this, after reading the Ten Commandments in the colonial church up on the wall, we respond by saying, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And framing the, the whole worship service from there. Uh, and it appears in another way, we have what's called a penitential rite. If you go to the 7.30 service, we do this once a month. If you go to the 5 o'clock service, we do this once a month. And often churches do it during Lent. Um, um, if you flip back to page 317, instead of giving that basic summary of the law, um, often some churches read the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. As you see here, God spake these words. And then continuing um, to the next page and the next page, the service then begins with that. Um, and you could say also at this point, uh, Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Um, and, then, uh, and then the sermon. Uh, you have the, you have the uh, after this point um, in the, the, uh, the worship service with the communion, you have the scripture readings and then the sermon. Um, and what should the sermon do? Um, what, do you, what do you want in a sermon? I mean, just think about that. Um, you can go to a lot of places um, and uh, hear a talk, a sermon, or whether it's a circular or a church context, and it amounts to a lot of good advice, um, a lot of um, sort of drumming up for, uh, for doing good things. Um, but ultimately, the sermon ought to not only, uh, if it, it shouldn't give good advice at all, if it's going to give those words, it should give those words to illumine our sinfulness and, and God's law, just as the uh, summary of the law did. Uh, but ultimately, it should bring good news. I mean, because you are a sinner and you've, you've heard this message um, about the law, you need to hear, therefore, the bomb of Gilead. 
uh, and the gospel coming through primarily Jesus Christ. And hopefully the sermon therefore expounds not only the law, but also ends with the gospel as the definitive word. Um, as Charles Simeon, who's a, um, an Anglican divine uh, who lived in the 17 and 1800s said, uh, a sermon should humble the sinner through the law, exalt the Savior, who is Jesus Christ, and promote holiness. And how do you promote holiness? You humble the sinner and exalt the Savior. And uh, through that, the, the Christian will bear good fruits naturally. And so it shouldn't be uh, what, what, what I would say uh, is gospel. Uh, it shouldn't end with a law gospel sandwich, with an exhortation to go out and, um, and to, to do these good things that you're going to fail at anyway, but it should give you a definitive word about uh, God's intervention for you uh, in Jesus Christ, uh, God's mercy. Uh, and through that, we will uh, bear good fruit. But then after that, we, uh, we move on after the sermon uh, and, and confess uh, our sins. Um, and after the, um, and the confession of sins is just more groveling. You know, I mean, we, we, we can't do this. Uh, whichever version you read, I mean, really, that's basically what it is. But afterwards, there's something that I love about the uh, Anglican tradition um, in uh, the confession of the sins by the way, is at page 331, if you want to f- flip there. Um, and then moving on to the next page, 332, is um, the, we declare the forgiveness of sins and then read what's called the comfortable words. And this ends a certain movement of the worship service. The first half is called the Liturgy of the Word. So it's a word-based portion of the service. It's all about um, uh, sharing uh, God's word through the reading of scripture, through these prayers, and through uh, the the preaching of God's word, and uh, both in his words to us of both law and gospel. And then after confessing, before moving on to communion, we hear this. Hear the word of God. We call this the comfortable words, even though it doesn't say this here. Hear the word of God to all who truly turn to him. Come unto me, all you that travail and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is a true saying and worthy of all men to be received that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the perfect offering for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. You know, you've just, whether it's been up on the wall in front of you or you've heard it through the summary of the law or maybe the reading of the Decalogue or through the preacher's uh, proclamation of how we fall short, you've heard all that. But the good news is we don't end on that note. We end with these comfortable words. And that is the gospel. That's God's grace. That's the good news. That's at the core of Christianity and what separates us from everything else in the world. Uh, and now we're ready to move on to communion. And I love that after that, the communion service, uh, before it changed to this revision, it just immediately moved on to lift up your hearts. Here we have the peace and we say, the Lord be with you, blah, blah, blah. But the next movement really should be lift up your hearts. Uh, we lift them up to the Lord. You've been brought down and now you are the, the humble uh, sinner is now being exalted uh, through Jesus Christ. And the words I want to read to you and highlight from the communion service, 
that are really important. Uh, page 334. And there is all the things about the institution of uh, the, the words of institution with, uh, the, uh, with the bread and wine and all that. I want to get into it. But the, the one thing that's always there in the communion service that's really important is uh, the summary of salvation history, uh, which comes in this paragraph here on page 334 toward the bottom where it says, All glory be to thee, almighty God our Heavenly Father, for that Thou, Thy tender mercy, didst give Thine only Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption, who made thereby His one oblation of Himself once offered, a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice, oblation and satisfaction for the sins of the whole world. Uh, It is finished once and for all. Um, It's not up to you. Uh, We're remembering now that one full and perfect and sufficient sacrifice for you uh, here in this communion service. And the beauty uh, here in our communion service is this uh, reflection on the atonement uh, for us in Jesus Christ. Or as the comfortable words say in another translation, our propitiation uh, uh, for us uh, in Jesus Christ. And finally, though, uh, we get to the end of the communion service uh, and one other place that I absolutely adore that I want to highlight for you is uh, before uh, receiving the communion, we receive it with humility and mercy at the bottom of page 337 um, with what is called the, um, uh, the prayer of humble access. Um, and it's, it's kind of become too bad in the 20th and now 21st century that churches um, have, I mean, it's a good thing that churches now are doing communion on a, on a regular basis every Sunday to a certain extent. I think what we're losing in that, though, is it's becoming kind of rote. Um, and the prayer of humble access uh, illumines for us the sort of the, the, the big thing that's happening here. It's, it's almost too much to understand, too much to take in almost on a weekly basis. Um, uh, hear these words, and these aren't meant to make you feel uh, crummy, um, uh, but to really in right relationship, to be formed by these words, as I said, uh, on a weekly or bi-weekly basis to, to, to say this. I mean, where else are you getting on your knees in 21st century America and saying anything like this? We do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in thy manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table, but thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. Grant us therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of thy dear son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. And I just read again that turn right here of, again, illuminating both the law and the gospel here. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table, but, but thou art the same Lord whose, mercy, whose property is always to have mercy. Um, and so then uh, with those words, with, with humility, uh, taking and receiving this gift uh, through the ordinary means of, of bread and wine um, that, that uh, God has given to us in Christ. Um, and uh, maybe you come from a, a, another tradition um, or maybe you come from Episcopal tradition that doesn't celebrate with right one, but right two. 
um, and you're not uh, used to these things. And I'll say that we don't use what's here called right one or the old service because it has these thys and, and thous in them uh, to be sort of hoity-toity with Elizabethan language. No, we don't do that. Uh, but the theology here in what's called the right one communion service is so good. It's so good. And that's why if you go to the five o'clock service, basically what I've done as the pastor there is, is just clean up the language and take out the, the, these thys and thous and say, say you and your instead, um, because the theology is the same. Um, and so that's what's happening in, in the communion service. And I hope through weekly uh, doing it or biweekly, as I said, um, uh, not only is it uh, you coming to church through an act of, of praise, and that's a good thing, and we ought to do that, but that through the course of time, these words ought to have an effect on you, to, to, to form you and shape you, that the faith will come through hearing. The faith might come once through a conversion, but there are unevangelized places of every human heart, even the Christian, and that's why we need to come back again and again and hear this, not only in the scripture readings and the preaching, uh, but in the worship service. And I will say one thing about this, these services is even if this, the sermon is really bad, at least uh, that we've got the gospel here. However, um, uh, uh, I will say that no amount of a really good right one Episcopal service will cover a bad sermon, unfortunately. Um, um, but once in a while, at least, you know, you can you, 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 you'll get the gospel here in the liturgy itself. And then just a word about what's called the daily office services. If you come in the morning every other week at the 9 and 11, we do morning prayer instead of communion. Uh, if you come to the five o'clock once or twice a month, we do evening prayer, which is a comparable service. Um, uh, and for the reasons that I just said, you know, it's, it's it, old churches used to do this like once a month or once a season uh, because they would spend the season preparing themselves to take this in. If you look in the prayer book, and I, I commend you if, if you're interested to, to study the prayer book a little bit, uh, because a lot of our theology is right there in our prayer services. But back in the day, if you if you look, there's a there are exhortations that are really lengthy about uh, feeling prepared uh, in, in re- a season of repentance to come and uh, and to uh, and to receive this uh, this meal. Uh, but the the daily office services, the thing that I love about them that are are really great. Um, and I like that the Advent does it on a regular basis. Is uh, it's an entirely word-based service, so you're getting nothing but the the this, the, the word of God coming to you. Uh, they're hospitable because uh, a non-Christian or a non uh, you know someone from another tradition who say a Roman Catholic who has questions about whether or not to take communion in our church, they don't need to think about that at morning prayer, evening prayer. They can just come. Uh, and receive uh, the word of God through the prayers and the preached word. Um, and they're, for that reason, evangelistic, um, uh, that uh, the focus is on the message itself. And you could say all those things about communion too, but I think that they offer a certain nuance that the communion service itself does not offer. Any uh, questions about law and gospel teaching uh, as it relates to worship or worship in general here uh, in the Anglican tradition. We've completely toasted you, I'm sure. 90 minutes isn't the normal 
amount for this. It's a lot to take in. Um, it's so countercultural, I'll say. I think everything that you've heard today, um, where else are you really hearing this stuff? Um, uh, just as uh, a lot of the examples that, that Brandon brought in, even in, in Christian environments, um, you're not hearing this. So I, I would understand if you thought that we were crazy. Um, but I think that this is actually uh, the truth. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, uh, and I'm, 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 if, if you feel challenged by this, uh, I'm glad, actually. And I'd love to talk to you about these things. If this is sort of opening you up to new things that you've never heard before about the Christian message and, um, it's, uh, and you're kind of freaked out about it, that's great. Love to talk to you about it. Would love to talk. Or, or Brandon could, too. Any questions about anything? Comments, concerns? Good. Well, you know, I hope that uh, next time you come to church on Sunday, you'll see some new things. And uh, maybe you knew all this stuff before. Great. I'm glad that it's reinforcing for you. Um, and uh, do you want to say any parting words for us, Sandy? I do. Um, anyone that does want to be confirmed, um, please get me your forms if you haven't already because our dear sweet secretary that does that needs more than a week's notice. So if you haven't gotten them to me, if you have them tonight and want to fill them out real quickly, the church offices are closed tomorrow, but we'll be there Tuesday. You can fax it to me, whatever. But we'll be here next Sunday night for our final one. And then one thing you mentioned, the prayer book or your Bibles, for those of you that are going to be confirmed, um, after the service, there'll be a uh, reception, and that will be the time to get um, Bishop Carey to sign your books, prayer books or Bibles. So bring those with you. Yeah, some uh, prayer books or Bibles have like a line for confirmation mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. in there, and that's what she's talking about. Not that George Carey wrote the Bible, so I'm <laughs> that way. But if you have like a prayer book. Uh, sometimes it has that date of baptism, date of confirmation in it. And I would commend that to all of you. Maybe you don't want to be confirmed, but maybe you're, you're not a member yet and coming into our church. Um, I would commend uh, coming for reception, uh, which is a part of the public right that you can do that. Or maybe you're already a member. Maybe you've already been confirmed and you're here just because you want to learn some more. I would commend to you reaffirmation. Um, and uh, or maybe you're confirmed in another uh, uh, tradition that we recognize. You can also be uh, reaffir reaffirmed that Sunday too. Or maybe you just want to be here and soak it all in. That's fine too. But uh, just give that a thought. If you want to publicly profess your faith, not maybe necessarily through confirmation, there are some other means. And Sandy can explain the the nuances of what denominations confirmations we recognize and which ones. Oh, we don't, sorry. Um, but there yeah, are some. She has a list of that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thank you, God.